This morning I'd like would like for us to turn over to 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Pardon me, I'm sure that you are familiar with these verses. I want to use them as a reading preparation for the first of four messages concerning the last days. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. We read, This know also, that in the last days, please notice that phrase, the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that you promised to bless the word, send it forth to accomplish that which you would, and not return unto you void. So bless the word. Open our hearts and minds. Help us to think seriously upon the things that you would have us to know. Teach us all according to your will. Each and every one of us, those things that you would have us to understand and abide thereby. We ask that you would honor and glorify yourself. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've entitled the first message, or really for the entire series, The Last Days. Now, what do we mean, the last days? Everybody today seems to be talking about the last days. The last days of what? The last days of the earth, the last days of Gentiles, the last days of Jews, the last days of mankind. The last days of what are we speaking? Most people today will say that they have some knowledge of eschatology or prophecy. They'll say, don't you think we're in the last days? Yes, I do. But what last days? You mean there's more than one last days? Aha, we have the scriptures telling us there are at least four time periods referred to as the last days. And we're going to look at them over the next two or four weeks, I guess. And we will find that the last days, just those three words by themselves, mean nothing except for the scripture tells us and applies the last days to our lives, to this earth, to the church age, and so on. Any student of prophecy is greatly interested in those words. Now today, when you hear someone preach on the radio, on TV, on tape recording, in books, whatever the case might be, there's much speculation, there's a lot of reasoning, quote, unquote, and also, there also is a great deal of out-and-out untruths passed off upon the people of God as 
last day truths, and usually for covetous reasons. Now, people say I shouldn't do that. Am I judging Benny Hinn or anyone else who gives us prophecy that's not in the Scripture or messes up the Scripture? No, I'm not judging him. I'm just giving you the facts of what he's saying. You make your own judgment. You make your own discernment. Most of the time, these men have a chronology, a, let's see what I want to say, uh, a way in which they go, a priority that they look after. Many of them want power, and so they preach for that reason. Many of them also want a following. Do you know what happens when you preach the truth? Well, you just get the biggest following you ever had. Now, that would mean that I might not be preaching the truth because we don't even have a 1,000 people here today, or 5,000, or 10,000, or whatever the case. No. When you preach for a following, you don't preach the truth or very much of it. The third thing, and the reason I've labeled all these covenants is because they are, many of these men will preach for M-O-N-E-Y, otherwise known as filthy lucre. Now, those of us who believe the Bible as our only rule of faith and order, we need to remember that we cannot go beyond what the Bible says. We shouldn't <clears throat> speculate. But likewise, you and I cannot go short of what the Bible says. There lies a problem because there are many people who would go short of what the Bible says. Ministers, missionaries, and others who don't want to preach the whole council because it messes up one of these three things I just told you about. <clears throat> we cannot go over we, or beyond. We cannot go short. And we must be at least at least as smart as Balaam was when he declared, you remember the messengers came from Balak? We're going to give you gold and silver. We're going to do a lot of things for you. Balak wants you to come, and he wants you to curse Israel. And Balaam couldn't do that because Balaam, even though he had a way and eventually found a way to make some money out of it, he still knew some basic truths that were real truths, and he knew he couldn't go past them. Over Numbers 22, to be exact. The messengers came and they told him what they wanted. And in the 18th verse, Balaam said this. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. Wouldn't it be good if some of the people naming the name of Christ and saying that they are his ministers would observe that today? We'd have a lot less trouble. Well, later on, to make a long story short, we finally had to go over and see Balak. Balak was not happy. But again, Balaam told him in chapter 24 and 13, Balaam said, well, try 12. And Balaam said unto Balak, Spake I not also to thy messengers 
which thou sentest unto me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of mine own mind. But what the Lord saith, that will I speak. Woe to those who do. See, there are people today who don't know the Lord who go beyond those those means. There are men and women, unfortunately, double reward for some of them, who supposedly preach, preach the truth, but it's not. It's beyond what the Scripture says. Anytime you hear a preacher preaching, he says, now doesn't it make sense that if this is true, these other things must be true? Be careful. Anytime you hear a preacher of whatever ilk tell you, well, here's what God says, and that's it, and there's more, be careful. You and I need to realize God's word, God's truth has to be preached, and we cannot go beyond a commandment or less than. Not beyond the word or less than, but exactly what the word of God says. Some men will deliberately leave out part of the scripture. I've heard many men say, leave out the first part of the verse. The entire verse says, the entire verse all that the Father has given me shall come unto me, and he that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. They say, well, if we, if we preach that first part, it's going to get people confused. No, it's not. It simply says, all that the Father has given me will come unto me. How many is that? I have no idea. Some already have, some are, some will. I know that anybody who can believe can receive Christ and be saved. But I know God knows how many that is. Whoever comes unto him. Nobody ever got saved by accident. And I'm using the, the colloquial. I could say no one was ever converted birth and so on. But nobody ever got saved because that's what many people say today. By mistake. But I'd say, whoop. That one got in there and he shouldn't have been. Come out of there. Not so. Those of us who believe the Bible as our only rule in faith and order must preach the entire counsel of God. Now, beloved, men can deceive. Man can misrepresent the scripture, but he cannot thwart the will, purpose, or plan of God. Oh, I have said that and people have gotten upset. So what are you talking about? We can too. No, you can't. Nobody can well, you just show me how that is. Very well. Most all of you should know, if you haven't, you should memorize Daniel 4 and verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth, all of them are what? There is nothing. They're insignificant. And he, almighty God, Jehovah, does according to his will in the armies of the heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no man can say unto him, no man can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Well, what does that mean? Well, let's back up to Daniel 2 and verse 20, where there is more truth concerning what I just said. 
You mean no man can stop God from doing what he wants to? Well, I'll tell you what. He wouldn't be God if he could. Would you want to serve him? In Daniel 2 and verse 20 and 22. Listen to it. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding or have understanding. No would be better translated have. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. God's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. He's going to do it just the way he said he would and he will accomplish it and he won't leave one part out. Bible scholars want to sit down there and say, oh my goodness, it looks like God did this, but boy, he just got by the skin of his teeth. This detail should have been taken care of. Not so. God's perfect. And that group of, I don't know, hell-bound PhD, THD, and the rest of them in California that are discovering what God really said or Jesus really said, you know, isn't that ridiculous? I can know what Jesus really said. It's right here in the Bible. Oh, no, 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 no. We want to find the historical Jesus. He's a lot different than the one in the Bible. Yeah, he probably has another name. He's probably one of the, the leaders of demons in that area. How foolish man is. We've got to get out of the introduction here. We're going to run out of time. The last days, the latter days, the end times, the last time, the last times, the last day, all refer to the last days. But here's what they refer to. They refer to the creative redemptive and everything in between program of God. He created and everything worked out through here. He redeems and then he finishes his plan. And the last days refer to the end of that plan. They point to a specific time period. The termination of God's purpose for a special group of people. See today we're living in the year 2001. Maybe. Our calendars aren't so perfect. We changed calendars when finally Easter got several months out of place in the Roman Catholic era, I call it. At any rate, up where God is, there is no time. But God uses time for our sake and to keep his plan and purpose on track. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows. But he gives us time for you and I. You and I know that that clock is going down towards 1130. Eventually, we're going to be eating lunch. We're going to be fellowshipping. We're going to be reading, studying, or meditating, or to be truthful, to take a nap, or whatever the case might be. But God has no time. It will always be the present. All right, there are at least four periods designated with the title, The Last Days. So let us briefly examine them in the time that we have this morning. The first is this, and the only one we'll cover today. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is referred to as last day. Did you know that? You may or may not. Well, let's look at and see what the Bible says. 
the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus, God's only son to earth. He was, he is the expression of God's love to man. He's the beginning of mankind's last days upon the earth. He's the beginning of the last days. How can we see that? Well, let me first speak this. Dispensations. Dispensations to me are easy categories or periods of time to study the Bible from the beginning, innocence, and all the way down to the church age, and so on through the millennial age and the eternal ages, and so on. I'm not a strict dispensationalist, because I think they overlap a little, or there are things in dispensations, periods of time, that need to be explained better than they are. Now, if you take a Schofield Bible and you only agree with Schofield, there will be some problems, because Schofield doesn't agree with the Bible in some spots. He doesn't see the church as we see it, and he doesn't see some other things. At any rate, the title last days are given to Christ's coming, for one. Over in 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21, I want to read all those verses, because I hate to read just a portion of a verse. I like to read the entire sentence, and as you know, they are sentences, verses, chapters. Bishop Usher did the most of that work a long time ago, to divide up the scripture. Otherwise, they received these epistles and they read them, read them as a letter. But it makes them somewhat easier, I guess, to study if we know the chapters and verses. Nonetheless, 1 Peter 1 and verse 17. If ye, plural, call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with incorruptible things, such as what? A silver and gold from your vain conversation or life or conduct and speech, received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, the perfect sacrifice, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, made plain, revealed in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God. They raised him up, from the dead, and gave him glory, and your faith and hope might be in God. What did he just say in these last times? Let's go on and look at some others. The period between the first and second coming are called last times. Now we can look at Galatians 4, 3 through 5, to get a better understanding. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Fullness of time. Time for Jesus Christ to come. 
So we know that in these last days, the fullness of time came that Christ was to come. And all the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, all the way from Genesis 3-5 regarding the seed of the woman. He came at exactly the correct time, and he shall again. Now, back in 1988, the fellow wrote the little booklet. I forget how many reasons it was why Christ was coming back in 88, but he didn't find the right reason because it didn't happen. So everyone, even WCVO, they spent money on that, distributed that saying Christ was coming on that particular day. Now, I forgot the man's name, but it'll come back to me. I've told you before. He made $100,000 personally on those books. And when it was wrong and Christ didn't come back, people should have said, the Bible says that you can't know the day or the hour. Only God knows that. You can know the time, the seasons. You can recognize the signs, but you can't pinpoint the day. So, and his name escapes me, he wrote another book. He had miscalculated slightly. And guess what? He made another $100,000 and Christ didn't come. Or he left all of us. Not like. So men can make a wrong decision. He will come at exactly the time that he's supposed to come again, just as he did the first time. Now, I want you to notice in Hebrews 1 and verse 11, the third spot of what I'm saying here. I'm sorry. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. God, who at sundry times and in divers are different, talking about different times, different manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Isn't that who we read? Don't we read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Joel and Malachi and even the little tiny books of Amos and so on? Of course. He who did that hath in these last days. Stop. What did he just say? When was Hebrews written? Before Paul died. And what did he say? Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down the right hand of the majesty on high, both being made so much better, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. What's the key there? In these last days, so there's proof from the scripture that the coming of Christ to the return is spoken of as the last days. The one whom God sends with the final message is the one who's going to inherit, who's been granted the earth and its people. He created them. And Jesus is final heir to God's final program for the earth. When you have time, you may read Psalm 2, 6 through 12. In fact, read the entire psalm. Now, what's Jesus' role or work in the last days before we finish? We can go back, first of all, to John 3 and verse 16. So I know that by heart. Don't have to turn back. 
Or if you don't know the rest of the verses behind it, you better turn back. John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world, the well-ordered cosmos, the people that he has, is, will say, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but what? Hath, has, have everlasting life. It means, present tense, does now possess everlasting life. Let's go farther. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Does that mean all the world? Of course not. Many of them are in hell now. They were. They are. And many more will be. The world of those who will be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I like that. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Jesus came as the expression of God's love. God didn't say like we do sometimes, oh, I love you, I love you. Now if I said, I love you, or I love you, or I love you, and so on, and I never expressed that love in some way, I might just be saying that. Or that's the way you might take it. If you husbands never told your wives that you love them, they're telling today before you get home. But if you haven't done that for a long time, a long, long time, what happens? You lose something. If I told Joan I love you, but I can't take you to dinner with me anymore, it costs too much for both of us, and I've got things I want to do. And would that be an expression of love? No. If I said, well, no, don't get excited because... I'm getting three new suits this week for so-and-so and two sport coats next week, and I've got a couple of shoes there that I want to buy, and some other things, and I just can't afford to buy you anything right now. So, Would that be expressing love? No. So I'd say, well, I'm going to buy just this and buy you that, and we'll share the tough times or whatever it is together. So we need to show the expression of love. God not only said that he loved, but he sent his expression, his only begotten son. Let me ask you something. If you ladies had to give up your firstborn son, you go to a group of people who weren't going to listen to him, but God told you to go, and they were going to take him, and they're going to beat him, they're going to skin him alive, they're going to do terrible things to him, how would you feel? I don't know. I can't imagine that. Because I have some people as close as my own daughter. And I don't know how I'd feel that, like that. God did. Jesus saves us. How? Well, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. By grace, through faith. Most people stop there. It's not. It's unto good works. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. No, wait a minute. There's no wait a minute. Let's look at it. Grace. He saves us. He sets us apart. He saves us from any merit of our own. It's the unmerited love and favor of God to the lost world. Grace. God says, here it is. Yeah, but Lord, I have done make any difference. Well, I've done more things than Mother Teresa. So what? If Mother Teresa insisted on those words, what do most people say? 
Oh, she surely was a saint. She's surely in heaven. I hope so, but I don't know. I never heard her testimony. I know all the things that she's done and the good works, but what are good works as far as salvation is concerned? Nothing. You can't do enough good works. You could be the most perfect saint on earth. You could be, uh, well, I don't remember that saint. I just saw her on TV here a while back. She's been dead 150 years and she hasn't decayed. She's perfect because they had taken her out of the sepulchre or whatever and they found that. They left her out there. She's to be, at, to be beatified as a saint. You know what? We're all saints in here that love the Lord. Something wrong with the teaching, isn't it? By grace, through faith, no one is saved by good works. Salvation is a gift totally of grace. It says here it is. Take it. And then people argue, well, we can resist. We don't want that. Why would you not want the thing that would save a person from death? Because they really aren't aware that that's what's going to happen. If a person fully realized that if they didn't accept Jesus Christ, they'd be in hell tonight, wouldn't they take that gift? But we say, well, they listen, and, and they're not sure, and what it comes down to is they don't want to, so they don't. God says, that's fine. Unto good works. No one is saved by good works, but saved to do good works. They're not the root, but they're the fruit of salvation. All right, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You know most of that by heart. But by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay. But verse 10 says, For we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I've had people say, Well, God's our before ordained our good works. So in so-and-so time, I'm going to do this, and, and then I'm going to do that because he ordained it. It doesn't. It's not looking at it that way. It's looking at it. He's ordained us unto good works. And then we're, we're told through the scriptures how to love people, how to do good to all, especially to those of the household of grace, and so on. We're ordained unto good works. That's what people do. I don't know. Well, I do. Well, uncle or aunt, so-and-so, or whatever, I... They made a profession. Yeah, they're mean in one way. Yeah, they live with their boyfriend, girlfriend. They stay drunk half the time. They cheated some poor old ladies out of their property, blah, 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 blah. But they made a decision. They're just carnal Christians. You know what God says? To be carnally minded is death. Well, now, wait a minute. I, you know, I don't know about that. Well, I do. The Bible says, see, all people have to do is receive what God says. And if he says that, wouldn't it be stupid not to do what it says? Yes. Why is the world stupid? I don't have time to get into that. Jesus came to complete a work. John 9.4, what did he say? I must work the works of him that sent me. What was that? He said, while it's day, the night cometh when no man can work. And he was there on the cross in John 19 and 30. What did he say? He said, it is finished. What? The work he came he bled and died for those who have, are, will be saved. He came to complete the task that God had given him. Aren't you glad? Yes, I am. Peter tells us that he became sin. Who knew no sin? He's in our stead. He took our place. He died for us. He became sin for us. And he gave us his righteousness. What then are we to do in these last days since Jesus came? Well, there's one spot here before we close that I want to show you. 
What are we supposed to do? Over in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed, surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, overtake us, ensnare us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What are the witnesses compassed about us? All you saw in chapter 11, those who've gone on before, those who've been faithful. Some people say, no, that talks about the people looking out of heaven down here and, and seeing what we're doing. Can you imagine your first husband, your first wife, your grandmother, your mother, someone else looking down here, seeing what we're doing in the flesh could possibly be pleased all the time? <laughs> Probably not. They don't do that. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now I want you to notice what it says then. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God, the throne of God. The joy that's before him, that wasn't a joy to go through the cross, no, it was frightening. It was so much so that he said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it. Nonetheless, your will, but not mine, be done. The joy is when we all come together and we live throughout the eternal ages. Beloved, the Bible has told us that chronologically, the last days in which we live, since the first coming, those last days we're talking about now, contain many blessings and privileges. The way of God is open. It's not through a man. It's not through the church. It's not through baptism. It's not through any of those principles that God has laid down, but it's through him who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can find that in John 14, 6 if you wish to read it afresh and anew. So there's only one way in these last days to escape some other aspects of the last days. What's that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we commit these thoughts into your hands that we might indeed hold fast to you, the one who has reached down and birthed us, the one who has taken us into your family, kingdom, many of us into your church. We pray that your good and perfect will would be done in these last days, that we might be blessed and used of thee, realizing that we're not here for eternity, but we're here to do those things that you've laid out for us, and yet to enjoy life and our families and the things that you've given us here on earth to enjoy. We praise thee for all of these things. Lord, help us to have our priorities in the right place. In Jesus' name, amen.